I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Welcome to Heroes 3, the bi-weekly podcast where three friends explore the best, worst, and everything in between in the world of Asian cinema. And this week, we are finishing our look at gun action cinema with, what else, Hard Boiled from 1992 and directed by John Woo. Wow. And also, might one of the first times that it's a movie that all three of us had actually already seen before we did the <laughs> podcast. So that's It's exciting. like a full circle moment for our hero journey here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do have to bring up at front that the world kind of exploded in a lot of ways since the last time that we recorded and yeah, we're about absolutely. to record an episode about cops in Hong Kong so we need to at least address that we do know what's going on there and uh we're definitely in strong support of you know de-escalating violence demilitarizing the police black lives matter all that stuff yeah, yeah a- absolutely and um a part of us uh, is maybe a little reluctant <laughs> to get together and to talk about this right now, but um, I think the other part of us thinks it's just absolutely the right time. And, um, you know, we've mentioned before in the show that we're in three different parts of the, the United States and we're able to come together remotely to do this show. And this definitely hits close to home for uh, all of us. Matthew's in the Atlanta area. Carlos is in the Milwaukee area, and then I live in Minneapolis. Um, Minneapolis. And, um, yeah, to just say a a few things about what's going on and um, to hopefully take advantage of this great medium of ours of podcasting, which um, uh, I'd love to see talked about a little bit uh, in this moment. There's plenty of discussion that's happening on the major social media channels. There's plenty of commentary about <laughs> how that discussion works on those social media channels. But mm-hmm. uh, here, we're not limited to speaking in short terse sentences or hashtags or anything like that. Um, and I guess I just wanted to say a couple of thoughts, um, not about the mere concept of black lives mattering. Um, but to just talk about black excellence really, and feel free to, to fast forward past this. Um, I, if, and I hope if you're listening to this in like 10 years, I hope that you're listening to this and you're like, Oh cool. That's when that thing happened. Yeah. Everything was better after that. I really (laughs) hope that's what you're totally. But, um, I think regardless of where you may you might fall along a political spectrum or your personal background or whatever. Um, I'd love for this moment to not merely be about equating black life with people dying at the hands of the police. Um, yes. I think it's, it's so natural and really great that we're all uh, motivated to the strong feelings that we have um, when we watched what happened to, to George. But I think we can all remind ourselves of Again, not just the mattering of black life, but the power, the brilliance, the beauty, the essential of black life in our culture and in global culture. 
And this is a show uh, where we're all getting together because we're fascinated and in love with these movies made by people that are uh, don't share our background, come from a different part of the world, see the world differently. And even the name of our show is designed to reflect that we're students of what those people have to say. And uh, as much as is possible, I'd like to just encourage all of us to kind of keep that student mindset. I don't know how I feel about um, necessarily trying to shame or guilt people into reflecting on um, their privilege or uh, background or even into educating themselves. But I, I would like to encourage you to uh, reflect on the black excellence that you're aware of in your life. And if you're, if you're struggling um, to complete that picture in your head, um, then I invite you to start on that journey and um, it will be just an absolutely life fulfilling journey. And I, yeah, anyways, that's, that's what I'm trying to keep in focus during this time. Um, and uh, I've been finding it helpful, centering, challenging, all of that stuff. And I think it's mm-hmm. something that you could call upon wherever you fit <laughs> in this moment. Um, and uh, like Matthew alluded to, this moment also sees our brothers and sisters in Hong Kong in extremely dire straits. Uh, when we covered Jackie Chan and Michelle Yeoh's Super Cop not too long ago. That movie ends with these two characters, one from Hong Kong, Jackie's character, and Michelle plays this mainland Chinese cop. And they're reflecting, they're looking forward rather to what's going to happen in just a few short years when Hong Kong joins China. And they're optimistic as can be. Well, we now live in that future. And <laughs> yeah. we, we've yeah. seen what's happened and... If you if you love these movies, I think you're probably already inclined to do this. Uh, but there's a lot of really great um, on the ground research from some incredibly brave people in Hong Kong. Uh, definitely, definitely seek that out, and um, we'll kind of continue to follow the story. But uh, that's just to say, uh, our love and support is is with everybody in in Hong Kong, and it's definitely weighing on our mind as as we watch this movie, which, as Matthew said, this uh, focuses heavily on the police. What's also really interesting is uh, John Woo made this movie intentionally to, even in his own words, uh, glorify the police. Um, mm-hmm. To pivot, I guess, a little bit uh, into our film subject, um, you know, the previous movies of his, which we've been celebrating over the last few weeks, were so popular, um, but he he began to worry about what the impact of, of those movies uh, was. You know, was he glorifying not only violence, but, um, you know, kind of illegal criminal violence? And this movie was initially designed to maybe kind of reposition Hong Kong police as as heroes. So we're, we'll be grappling with all that stuff today. Um, I'm sure wherever you are listening... Um, you're experiencing some degree of uh, unprecedented feeling and tension and just know that we're there with you and we're going to try to make this uh, as fun as we ever have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, I think even in at the beginning of this film, there's a little bit of discussions uh, on um, Hong Kong and 
you know, the the characters having this fondness for where they're from, and kind of alluding to what it could be when when China and Hong Kong merge. So, um, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. Um, I yeah, I echo everything you said. I guess we, <laughs> I don't want to go too long about it, but I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that are very passionate that are actually doing the work that needs to really uh make some changes in this world for the better and i you, you got to respect that and we definitely support that 100% it's it's awesome to see these movements happening across the world not not only you know this uh focused in the united states and focused on uh the situations that have happened here but the rest of the world's responding to the, to that as well and it's it's really cool to see all of that that's that's honestly been the coolest thing for me is seeing that there are literally protests happening in all 50 states, even Alaska (laughs) and, you know, the most remote corners of like Idaho and Nevada and stuff. Like it's such a cool thing seeing that this like, you know, like you can know that most people really are good and most people do care, but it's really nice to just actually see that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially um, in like our era of, uh, you know, relatively minimal, like physical connection. And then mm-hmm. our like specific moment that's been so exacerbated by quarantine and everything. It's um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm totally with you. There's a lot to be uh, heartened by. And if you are experiencing, you know, a lot of uh, overwhelm and stress in this moment, um, see if you can kind of find those corners that uh, mm-hmm. that do inspire you, because there's yeah. a lot of a lot of inspiring uh, work going on at the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, with all that said up front, I do think that we should dive into this movie because yeah, this really is an amazing movie. Like it's <laughs> it's considered a, a classic for a lot of reasons, and I feel like it's it's one of maybe four or five Hong Kong action movies that I would say a lot of people have seen in the yeah, West. It's really like, popular in the West. And I was trying to like decode um, how that came to be. Cause I mean, I remember um, in the, in the late nineties is when I, I first started being aware of some of my friends that weren't typically interested in Hong Kong film talking about hard boiled. First, it was pretty surprising. Um, and looking back in the history of it now, it never really had, uh, it didn't have a a wide American theatrical release, and right. even the the home video releases weren't super major. It's nothing on the level of these like Miramax and Dimension Jackie Chan releases that we've talked about. Um, so I'm curious about the story of like just how it came to be so so well known. Um, mm-hmm. It deserves it for sure. But um, I remember uh, going through that period and kind of wondering like, oh, uh, why. Like, why don't these, you know, same folks know about The Killer or A Better Tomorrow? Um, yeah. And for a while, I almost had kind of a, unfortunately, like, complicated relationship with Hard Boiled. Um, and I hopefully see see the light now. But it's kind of like that annoying, it's like, kind of in, the indie pick. snob thing where you're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I knew the band. It's like, which I don't. I don't really endorse that kind of um, that kind of perspective really much these days. But um no, yeah, I know. Anyways, I know exactly was, uh, what you mean. It's it's like it was interesting. the the guy where it's like, oh, I like Hong Kong movies. I like hard boiled. Like 
Like, well, there's other ones too, and like that's what you want to say is like that's not the only thing that exists in that in that world. Sure, sure. But I sp- but uh, rewatching it now, I found that like there's another way to look at that phenomenon, which is um, John Woo was, uh, you know, this is partly intentional, partly not. He was paving his path to Hollywood, mm-hmm. and really, um, if Hard Boiled just the fact that it resonates so much with an American audience is kind of proof that um, he was <laughs> ready to make Hollywood films. It's yeah. hard boiled almost is a Hollywood film. It's just in Cantonese and shot with Hong Kong mm. actors. Yeah, no, that's true. It's, 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 it is chock full of, uh, you know, cars and explosions and guns. And I feel like it would, it'd be right at home in any, you know, late 80s action movie in america yeah yeah Yeah. for me um of all the movies that we've covered this was the movie that i saw before any of the other ones and um i i'm pretty sure that it was a vhs uh from one of my friends um kind of my my asian friend that would hook me up with cool movies (laughs) 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 so um yeah i i don't think uh, I had it on DVD until the Dragon Dynasty release, and that's a that's a great addition. Yeah, like you said, John Woo was uh, ready to move over to the states, and actually, uh, he would follow this up with Hard Target with Jean Claude Van Damme. But what I also read was that um, Oliver Stone approached him to direct a film, and what I read was it was actually going to be like a a kung fu film, and that ended up not working, and that would. Uh, so instead of that, he actually made hard boiled. So we ended up with this instead of whatever that would have been. So, um, Hmm. it's kind of cool to think about those divergent paths. We've talked about this in, uh, the past with other movies, but to think about how cinema would have changed if one decision would have been made. (laughs) Well, and it's super fortunate too, because, um, Looking back, we now regard Hard Boiled as the end of an era. It is the last real collaboration with John Woo and his muse, Chow Yun-Fat, and it was his last Hong Kong gun action film. Um, he, many years later, made his like return to Asian cinema, though, as we've talked about before, um, you know, once you get into the 2000s, the traditional like Hong Kong film market, really, it's not the same thing anymore. And so he made this huge epic Red Cliff, which was uh, made in two parts. Um, but that's, you know, considered more of like a mainland Chinese mm-hmm. co-financed with uh, Hollywood kind of a thing. And Chow Yun-Fat was originally going to star in it and um, things things didn't work out. Um, but uh, our co-lead in this film uh, did collaborate again with John Woo in the um, in Redcliffe, uh, Tony Lung, who's you can't say enough about Tony in this film. God, there's a, like a recurring motif in all of all of the uh, yeah. John Woo films in this section, which is like they're not all about Chow Yun Fat's character, right? Like mm-hmm. in I mean, the funny thing is, uh, but it's it's all it's credit to Chow Yun Fat and how magnetic he is. In A Better Tomorrow, he's not even meant to be the main character he's like a supporting character but he just popped so much that it's like that's who you're going to put on the poster or on the tape or the dvd or whatever and then we talked about with the killer it's really designed to be this uh two-hander like equal share uh sort of story but you know chai and fat gets all the glory uh i think 
Tony had maybe the most success in uh, in being kind of well remembered, starring opposite Zhao Yun Fat in a John Woo film. Um, <laughs> but I I still see you know there's plenty of uh, posters and uh, covers and depictions of this film that don't don't feature Tony. But um, yeah, you you'll see a baby more than you see Tony on yeah, the promotional totally material. Right. <laughs> that's oh, that's true, man. But yeah, it's interesting because at the time, you know. I, it doesn't appear that John Woo or Chow Yun Fat regarded this as their last, the last time out. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, I do think there's some great filmmaking in John Woo's like America period, if you want to call it that. But most of us consider the best of those films to be Face Off. And I think if you were to ask just like yeah. an average film goer, is Face Off like high art? They wouldn't say it was right. Um, no, I love it though. It's so much fun. No, yeah, to- totally. So it's like in some ways, it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot of like special ceremony kind of hanging around um, hard boiled. I think. Yeah. And uh, I, I found myself rewatching it this time. It's om- even though it's the longest of any of the films in our arc right now. I just didn't want it to end. It's like, no, please, <laughs> like, don't let this era be over, man. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Tony Lung in this film is he's like my favorite. Like the whole how they handle his being undercover throughout the beginning Dude, of the film so great. and how that really unfolds and the struggle that he deals with is just just masterfully handled throughout the movie really if you were watching the film and you weren't paying attention at the beginning you wouldn't know until like everything comes out at the end that's it's but it's something that when you're watching it and you're paying attention it just is such a rewarding uh progression for uh for alan or or long's character yeah totally um, and yeah. um a, another of uh tony's like most famous roles comes you know several years after this in infernal affairs which i think we've right. talked about before it's the foundation for the american uh martin scorsese movie the departed, departed. um but it's you know if you watch infernal affairs after hard boiled it, it really does owe a lot to um, the themes and even a lot of the story beats of of Hard Boiled, um, but yeah, a great film. I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. Oh yeah, for sure. It's funny. I was thinking about Face Off when you mentioned it, and that's one <laughs> of the other. Thinking even further, so my wife had Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon because she liked that movie. The other movie that she also had was Face Off. <laughs> oh, so, dude, that's great. So that's funny. You got John yeah. Woo and Chow Yun Fat together. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So is this like the early days of you and Joanna dating? So it's like that's how you knew kind (laughs) of? Yeah, it was like stuff like that and also like her love of the Simpsons. (laughs) Oh, dude, that's awesome. Those are like the, yeah, it was like that and Kirby's Dreamland 2 and um, let's see, Donkey Kong 94 on the Game Boy. You, were, just, you must have been like preparing the dowry already. Yeah. <laughs> I just I'm just it. imagining that you go to her apartment and she has a bookshelf that just has those four things on yep. it. Just Kirby's <laughs> Dreamland. <laughs> yep. Harper, uh, <laughs> Crash Tiger and Dragon. Yep. And, and she uh, says, Have you ever heard of Capcom arcade music? <laughs> <laughs> and you just like faint. Yeah. She had the uh, uh the incredible crash test dummies for Game Boy. Uh, and, oh, cool. um, 
the uh, dude. That's the thing that would be so hard to explain. Right. But <laughs> but the thing about it. that. Totally right. The thing about that is that Tim Fallon does the the soundtrack for that. Oh, oh that's right. right. Oh so man. Like, oh man, this girl knows her stuff. Dude. <laughs> it's cool too that it's like um she like sensed her way to all that stuff that that yeah. you were interested in probably more of like an encyclopedia kind of right way. right um, that's meant really to be cool. man yeah dude but yeah man hard ah, oh, hard boy yeah, we want to hop into it then yeah let's, let's do, do it. it all right well first let's take a look at the back of the vhs hong kong 1992 after the loss of his partner, one cop lives on the edge, fully loaded and steadily aimed at the triad that took out his friend. In the triads, one man struggles between loyalty of family and the temptation for glory. Sure enough, their worlds collide, and when the triad feels the heat, the bodies begin to fall. John Woo directs this explosive cloak and dagger drama. Chow Yun-Fat and Tony Lung star in Hard Boiled. So Hard Boiled starts off with one of it. Have you ever heard of the YouTube channel How to Drink? No. No. Okay. It's it's a it's a whole YouTube channel talking about like making cocktails and stuff. Oh, that's kind of one of the yeah. It's 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 pretty fun. Um, but one of the things that uh people always make jokes on is he does lots of like slow mo shots of pouring drinks into into glasses. Nice. <laughs> but nice. a lot of times it's these beautiful slow mo shots and he's just getting like half of the liquid not in the glass. <laughs> That's what this <laughs> reminds me of. <laughs> That's great. Oh, he's right. Making a, he... He's making a tequila slammer with like a shot of tequila and then like ginger ale or something and then slamming it on the, the bar. Yeah, that's great. Oh, and that's it, so cool. In the uh, okay, so I'll mention this now. Um, there is a sequel to Hard Boiled that is actually not a film at all. It's a video game called John Woo's Stranglehold. And uh, they make a point in the game to, to show Tequila do that in the game. Oh, cool. Which is great. Yeah. And yeah, yeah Chow Yun Fat Does he immediately his start role. playing UN Squadron on clarinet whenever he. No, he does not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the. Oh, dude, the yeah. Great. Chow Yun Fat, like you said, Marty, he's modeled in the game. And actually, John Woo himself also, we'll see him in this film, but he also appears in the video game as a 3D model as well. <laughs> yeah, man, that's so awesome. Yeah, apparently, uh, John Woo said there's uh, this like Sam Peckinpah film where I think character was, was drinking like whiskey and soda and that he was always into <laughs> into that drink after that. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's, this is a nice little uh, visual motif, um, kind of announcing um, our our central character here, who uh, I think we've mentioned now, but uh, goes by Tequila. So um, mm-hmm. he's a jazz clarinet playing, um, toothpick wearing, <laughs> you know, hard boiled cop, hard boiled <laughs> uh, chief defining. He doesn't ever throw his badge or anything like that, but. Mm-hmm. You know what's also yeah, funny is we started this arc with Chow Yun Fat slamming raw eggs, and now it's oh, led yeah. us all the way over to him being hard boiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> oh, dude, <laughs> I'll allow it. That was true. Yep. <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah. So so cool. And um, so uh, 
Yeah, the the score is pretty significant right off of the the drop here, and um, ah, the score so you'll good. No, yeah, you'll notice a a non Chinese uh, name. Um, I I actually don't know too much about uh, this composer. Uh, did you you said you found a a little bit, Carl? Well, yeah, Michael Gibbs is his name. He does have a Wikipedia entry, um, yeah. and uh, you know, mostly known as sort of like a jazz. Um, you know, a, a jazz composer. He does have a few other film credits to his name, um, going back even into the seventies, I think. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I wish I knew more about how he and John Woo got connected. I did hear, uh, accounts that there was another, um, more licensee kind of score, the kind that we might be used to from Hong Kong movies of this time. Um, and, uh, it was not something that they, uh, could clear the rights to. So, um, I I think that this may have come together a little bit late, although that doesn't uh, that story doesn't really seem to jive with the fact that we've got um, Chow Yun Fat like playing the clarinet prominently on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Would love to, love to know more about that. Yeah, same here. Um, that uh, quick little introduction also sh- also shows us that uh, his bandmate is a is a drummer and. Uh, after their show, it takes us to a restaurant and him and the drummer are sitting talking. And this is what I was mentioning earlier, where they they get into a little bit of this kind of nostalgic discussion about their homeland. And um, Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, uh, Tequila even asked him, like, oh, would you emigrate, basically? <laughs> like, yeah, that's what I was thinking Would you leave of. Hong Kong when, yep. Um, yep. when it so, enters China? Yeah. So that's interesting thinking about that in 1992 with... Uh, that looming in the distance but um uh what's more important here is uh what they're up to so you get the uh sense right away that this is another gun smuggling sting operation <laughs> i think we've seen one of these in every movie we've covered in this plot yeah. <laughs> um one of the things that's really interesting to me about this though is that there's like a third party that's observing the situation and i recognized him and he's actually Japanese actor named Jun Kunimura and um he was in Ichi the Killer Takashi Miike's Ichi oh, the Killer that cool. we covered oh wow great so catch it's a really interesting kind of crossover casting here um that I was um surprised to see uh there's a little bit of that because like I had seen this film years ago we were talking before the podcast i think i saw it in like the late 90s which saying that out loud is like a really long time ago (laughs) (laughs) um so see the the gif of the matt damon slowly getting older yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) um so seeing the film now for the podcast there's a lot of uh different uh things that i noticed that, that there's no way i would have noticed back then um that being one of them so uh they escalate the situation pretty quickly and guns start blasting. And um, yeah, and this is the, uh, I mean, you'll, you'll remember it if you've seen this movie even once, this is where they're basically having dim sum at this like tea house and everyone has their bird cages. Um, yeah. Which I like. That was apparently an old tradition. Yeah. Um, We've seen that plenty of times in uh, period Kung Fu films where you've got like usually kind of one of the bad guys is kind of looking down on everybody else. And that's kind of a symbol of, uh, I mean, not too long ago we saw, uh, Tino Wong with his birdcage in, um, drunken master one. Yep. Um, 
But yeah, it's apparently that tradition was kind of done away with after um, rise of avian flu and that sort of thing. But <laughs> oh, uh, and, of course. <laughs> and it's interesting. Um, this is actually a real location. Uh, John Wu said apparently not in the best neighborhood, but they became a, um, aware of this kind of classic Hong Kong tea house that was going to be demolished. So they got to basically have the run of the location. Oh, cool. No way. And, and even as the scene develops, there's that this classic moment where Chow Yun Fat slides down the stairs and then yeah. goes into the kitchen. That's all in this same this same location. Um, and apparently at this point in the production, it sounds like they didn't really have a, a final script. The script was really uh, in flux for a while in the making of this film. At one point, Tony's character was going to be like the arch villain. And his plot was going to be like poisoning this baby food. So there's still going to be this motif of babies <laughs> and danger and babies symbolizing innocence and stuff. Um, but that that really changed. Actually, one of the biggest motivators for changing the script is that Michelle Yeoh was originally going to be in the film. Um, oh, cool. Oh, wow. And she became unavailable. The role was recast and then also rewritten. Presumably, Michelle would have had you know more to do in the action uh fighting shooting department but uh yeah it's, so supposedly at this point in time i don't think that they really know exactly what the the arch story of this movie is going to be uh we should also mention the credited screenwriter on the film is Barry Wong who we saw um uh play a role in their uh last John Woo movie and he actually passed away just before the movie came out in theaters so the movie's dedicated yeah. to him at the very end yeah. yeah, we've got a lot of really stylish action going on. Uh, you mentioned the uh, sliding down the banister. Yes. Um, actually, uh, that stranglehold game, <laughs> not to bring <laughs> this up over and over, but it, it uses a lot of these uh, stylistic choices as oh, game like mechanics. Oh, into like... Rip- um, yeah. So it's, cool. it's almost like you're playing Tony Hawk, but you just do oh. wielding guns the whole time. <laughs> like everything you can slide on or dive over it's great (laughs) yeah Yeah, like at the time i think it was compared a little less favorably to like the max Payne games but yeah the Mm. max Payne is obviously trying to put john woo into a video game so it's interesting yeah it makes sense um (laughs) another thing i do really like is at that moment uh just after he slides down the banister um you get uh uh Basically, the major music cue you hear in the film, this kind of repeating, like, theme of the film, you could say. It, it actually reminded me, I mentioned Commando <laughs> last oh, sure. episode. Yeah. It reminds me of the theme from Commando uh, by John Horner. So um, James Horner, yeah. James Horner, thank you. Instead of a steel drums, you kind of just have like a synthesizer here, but it yeah, sounds very cool similar. Yeah, drum machine. Yep. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, there's another cool story. There's um, so there are actually two commentaries with uh, John Woo and producer Terrence Chang. Uh, one I think was from the old Criterion disc, um, and then I think one is on the Dragon Dynasty disc. But uh, Terrence Chang shares this uh, interesting story that, um. You know, with most locations um, that you would shoot in with in Hong Kong during this time, you would have to pay some kind of protection money to local triad. And I believe it was this tea house location where he said they ended up having to pay protection money to like three or four different triads. Oh, oh no! And so and they're just like, this is ridiculous. We don't really like, who's protecting who. Um, yeah, so, in um, yeah. in in Jackie Chan's 
book, he talks about some situations where he was really fearful of his life because of triads showing up on set. And I've heard stories about uh, Wang Jing actually like getting his ass kicked by triad members and like being oh, wow. like in traction. Like, yeah, it's it's pretty messed up, but a real thing that they had to deal with. <laughs> um, Dude, crazy. Yeah. Okay. So moving forward throughout this scene, uh, if Jun Kunimura's character becomes the focal point and um, it's uh, Tequila and his partner and his partner kind of makes a fatal error where he sees a body moving and shoots at it, but it's a decoy body that Kunimura yeah. is hiding behind. And, yeah. uh, and then I he, wrote in my notes that... <laughs> His partner gets RoboCop lit up. Like, oh, oh man. Yeah. He's just getting blasted Dude, by yeah, this guy. Totally. <laughs> and, yeah. and, of course, is killed. Yep. Yeah. So we've got our uh, just the standoff now between Tequila mm-hmm. and Kunimura. And there's yeah. a really cool sequence that leads to the final moment where uh, Kunimura is lying on the ground and then Chow Yun-Fat actually like roll dives over a table that's covered in flour. Mm -hmm. And then he lands like directly in a Kunimura's face, avoiding like an explosion. Yeah. And And he has the gun right up on his head and you think, you know, he's a cop. You think he's going to like, yeah, yeah, you're under arrest. But no, he just blows him away and you see the blood splatter all over his, his, his flower covered body. It's, it's, it's crazy. Really dramatic shot. Yeah. Um my my fan theory is that uh <laughs> uh Tequila actually died in that explosion and him covered <laughs> in flower is that he's a ghost. The meth for these a ghost. Oh dude. Yeah. No, so, I, I like that. Yeah, it's yeah, interesting I, going from If oh, you sorry, don't think about anything else, then that totally makes sense. Actually <laughs> throughout the rest of the film nobody actually talks directly <laughs> to Tequila, so it's true. That's true. Yeah, he has no impact on the story. It's funny if um, going from going from the killer, uh, John Woo has really upped the pace here. It's almost like the George Lucas school of like quicker, faster, more intense. Um, but even though we <laughs> but, are but moving, done well. at, right, right, yeah. Even though we are moving at more of a clip, um, we had like just enough uh, with uh, Tequila's partner, I think, um, to really feel something here. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of miraculous how Wu is able to pull that off. Just that tiny little conversation about uh, emigrating. I don't know. At least for me, super works. Um, and that's that's really I think that kind of captures the spirit of this film in maybe a way that it contrasts with the killer in a better tomorrow. Um, there's a lot more going on in terms of the detail and the choreography of the action where you might be inclined to say that some of the story beats take uh, take kind of a back burner. But um, what is there in those story beats is just kind of like geniusly crafted mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah. Then uh, we have uh, our chief here, and it's actually, he's played by Philip Chan, who we've seen yep. a handful of times and will mm-hmm. usually play a policeman. Because he's he, usually a police chief because he just he looks was, like a police chief. <laughs> Yeah, and he was actually a police uh, officer. Oh, cool! Uh, and professionally, so uh, it works. <laughs> um, one of the versions I was trying to f- remember which version over the years I always remember this line, and it wasn't in the subtitles that we were watching. Actually, we should mention that um, we were blessed to uh, have <laughs> the Hong Kong rescue version of this film to watch. I I do own the Dragon Dynasty DVD, but damn, seeing this 
restored the way mm-hmm. it's been on this Hong Kong rescue version is yeah, just beautiful. Ten eighty P it's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. But the the line that I remembered is Give the guy a gun and he's Superman. Give him two and he's gone. That's what uh <laughs> the chief is telling Tequila yeah. while he's standing over his Partner. Oh, dude, I do sort of remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and that's, I, I you think that was from the dub is tape? the dub's pretty good too. Uh, oh, is it? It has, it oh, has yeah. yeah, and it has the original music and everything. So, oh, great. It's, it's that kind of classic. I, I think it's it's some of the classic guys and then some of like the '90s guys that are in like the like Legend Dragon Master and stuff. Oh, so. yeah, that's a cool like transitional period. Also, mm-hmm. the um the Cantonese uh, audio track is really interesting. There's it's almost kind of it hits me kind of in this abstract way because there's like this reverb on all of the dialogue all the time, regardless of what kind of environment someone's mm-hmm. standing in. Which I don't know. I think almost lends it, yeah, this kind of like dreamlike quality. And I believe all of the major actors are uh, dubbing their own voices, which is something that uh, John Woo preferred to do whenever he he could. Nice. Yeah, so uh, then following this, we have a short scene of Tequila at the bar. Now it's closed, and we get to see John Woo himself. He he runs this yeah. bar, so that's pretty nice. And he kind of has this kind of, not a mentor, but he kind of is like the advisor to Tequila when he's struggling with things. So it's kind of nice seeing him mm-hmm. in a couple of scenes. Uh, following that, though, we get introduced yeah. to Tony Lung and... Uh, uh, he's cruising through the city. It's really nice. He's living it up. But um, that leads us to a, a library scene, which is really <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, for for all of the the many locations we've had in these in these Hong Kong movies, we haven't seen a library too much. So no. it's also a really like realistic looking library. It's yeah. not like glamorized or anything. Um, yeah, where it's like locations in the killer are like this. You know, you have this heightened, almost unreal mm-hmm. like. Um, like Mexican style church, yeah, uh, and yeah, all, all that stuff. But hmm. um, yeah, the, I don't know. It captures the period in a cool way. But he, uh, his, the name of the character is uh, Along in the original, and that gets turned into Alan in the subtitles. Which that 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 feels right, like that with the yeah that works. follows the the mouth flaps. He uh, grabs a book, and it's it's I think it's the complete works of William Shakespeare. Yeah, which yeah. in my mind, like that feels like a book that someone might actually like pick up, <laughs> like like a <laughs> like they studying. accidentally. Oh, dude, that's like a that. really good point. Yeah, supposedly nice. John Woo said that um, he loves the writing and the plays of Shakespeare, and that actually mm-hmm. he'll draw a lot of inspiration um, from some of Shakespeare's tragic characters for his own characters for his mm-hmm. film. So that was kind of where that was coming from. But and I, I think it. it's, I think um, King Lear is kind of the crucial page where yeah sorry <laughs> oh really dang you guys are digging in deep that's awesome <laughs> that hd what? man quarantine baby <laughs> yeah <laughs> 1080p uh, um i guess yeah i guess what matters more than what's on the page is what's in the book right because mm-hmm. <laughs> when yeah, he opens man. it up there's a, a gun hidden inside and uh he's uh he's performing a hit Right in the middle of the library, but he's got a silencer, so it's okay, right? Yeah, <laughs> that, that's you, you got to just ignore it because it happens in every movie. But real life silencers just like it's so that the person a block away can't hear you, but everyone in the building can still hear you. Oh man, the silenced yeah. gunshots are so iconic. It's, You're telling me that's mm, not how that sounds? 
That is definitely not how it sounds. It's not. Oh, dang. I love that noise. <laughs> I love it, too. I wonder who came up with it, because like it had to have been some audio designer in like a James Bond movie or something. Yeah, that but... feels like a golden. Uh, like, sorry, Goldfinger yeah. kind of thing or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, he shoots this guy right in the middle of the right in the middle of the library. And the, our our cop our hero cops show up, and uh, he he sees the the clear book outline of the blood on the table. Yeah, he's like, hmm, hmm. I think a book was involved in this. Hmm. We need <laughs> they a do a little for this one. That's yeah. why we pay you the big bucks, Tequila. Yep, he does this kind of putting himself in the footsteps of the killer. Oh um, yeah, actually, yeah, it's like in it's like in the kill, right? Isn't yeah, as, as I was saying yeah, it, I realized that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny how he just randomly ends up finding the book, you know, in a library full of books. He lands yeah. in the right aisle, but anyways, yeah. it, it, it sort of, it sort of works. You so want it to happen, yeah, it's, and it's, it just pushes you through. It's fine. Yeah, totally. It's funny. Supposedly, John Woo said when he started out the production, he's like, "I'm going to take a very different aesthetic approach to this movie." Um, really shoot it almost in like a documentary verite kind of style. And I think he even said initially, it's like, I won't use slow motion. Um, it's not going <laughs> oh, to be no. like my other films. But then I think as he got underway, it's just like his <laughs> instincts started kicking in. Um, and he said other, uh, I think his editor, when he like first got this footage back, it's like, oh, okay, I, I see what you're doing, John. And, um, I mean, we're all the luckier for it. So a little after that, we get to see the police station kind of in a in a whole hubbub, and we get to meet this uh, uh, Madame Teresa character who's played by Teresa Mo, um, and she in her office she just has all of these white roses just covering <laughs> the office, uh, which is it's 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 fun because it's one of those on a second viewing it has a different meaning because when you first watch it you're like what's what's going on like yeah. And you kind of wondered if she has like a relationship with uh, with Chai on Fat, or if they're just like he's just like being a goofball trying to get her to go out or something. But what's cool, the whole movie is like that. It doesn't um, it doesn't really prepare you um, or give a lot of preamble. You have to kind of catch up to what the relationships are and right. what people's motivations are. And it's I think it yeah, it's just super it's super well done and it uh walks that line of maybe being a little bit confusing um on your first viewing w- without hopefully being frustrating. But he, she reads one of the cards and uh realizes that they're lyrics and uh gets gets tequila to help her kind of figure out the song. And it's cool. I've I haven't seen uh Solfege used as a as a clue in a police movie. Super ever clever, man. So yeah, yeah, it's really classy. Uh, expert. And it's from work. Hello by Lionel Richie. Are you somewhere feeling lonely? Or is someone loving you? Yeah, oh. it, this wasn't oh. a situation where we could Shazam this, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I actually had to Google <laughs> lyrics and kind of track it down. But yeah, this is Hello from Lionel Richie here, mm-hmm. which is kind of And cool. it's cool. It's like, it's super cute, their chemistry together as they're singing the song. Are you somewhere feeling lonely oh, or someone's loving you? you? Thank you. And... <laughs> I think as an audience uh, member, you're starting to piece together that it's like, okay, these guys definitely have a relationship, mm-hmm. but still, what's going on with these flowers? Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think it all helps to just kind of keep you on the edge of your seat 
and really plugged into what's going on. But she figures out the like the notes, like with the solfege is the like do re mi fa so la ti do, and she figures it out and they punch it into a computer and it's like a code, which I thought was super clever. Yeah, I looked into that and yeah, there's a like a Chinese notation where um, each of those represents a number and there's like a either a dot above the number or below the number. So based on uh, the note itself, you'll be able to get these numbers. And once the chief gets that, he punches it into the computer and it translates it into a message. And you see those uh, notations with the dots above and below on the screen. And the message is in English so that the dumb Americans can read it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and these, oh, these messages are vague enough that you, there, you know, as the viewer, you wouldn't be able to figure it out right away. But it, it's like you said, if you're watching the film for a second time, you you totally understand what these messages mean. Mm-hmm. And we now get to go to our 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 evil guy backyard, and. Uh, we see this like old crime boss, uh, Hui or Hoi, it, it, different places said it differently. Um, but we, uh, um, our, our bud Allen pops in and, <laughs> uh, we, I don't know if we said it on the air, but, uh, we get to see Lo Mang, uh, who is our, uh, the toad yeah. from five deadly venoms. Oh, and we also haven't said on air, but the, um, a- the action director for the film and, who I think really deserves a lot of the credit for um, what's so great about hard-boiled's action. It's uh, Philip Kwok, yeah, also, also the back Venom from Mob. the Venom Mob. So there's a little uh, kind of Venom Mob reunion. And <laughs> um, and actually the boss here is played by Quan uh, Hoi San, who also had a career in the, in, you know, the Shaw Brothers world and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. The hairstyles in this film are really, really stylish. These <laughs> guys are all like looking really uh, smooth in their suits, but their hair is like perfect. Lo Meng oh, looks man, really cool totally. with his hair. Yeah, Lo short Meng like looks that. super, super good. And dude, I love the character of the boss here. Again, um, you know, so much of the film is devoted to action and our pace really moves along. But the depictions of these characters are so strong. You really get what they're all about really quickly. And you can tell it's like, okay, this dude has a lot of honor. He's involved in this, you know, criminal business. Um, but you like him right away. And it's clear that um, he has this warm relationship with Tony's character and is basically like this surrogate father. Right. And he also has a sense of where he is in his career. You know, he, he right. knows that, you know, I'm not going to be where I am much longer and I have to look towards the next generation to find a right leader. And he finds that in uh, Tony Long's character long. And, uh, but he also, without just straight up telling him, Hey, don't trust this guy or Hey, you know, like he, he kind of tries to point him in the right direction. But um, Alan here gets courted by one of the like young hotshot kids that wants Mm -hmm. to be cool. And he takes him to a meeting with a rival triad leader, uh, played by Anthony Wong, who's super iconic look. And uh, yeah, yeah totally. I, I'm pretty sure he's in Infernal Affairs. I think that's where I remembered him from outside of this yeah, film. No, he, has yes. a, he has a big role in Infernal Affairs. Yeah, um, and uh, he's of uh, mixed race descent. And yeah. He has this like super like specific look to him. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Yeah, when I first saw him, like I feel like I went to high school with a kid that looked like him. Like, <laughs> oh, like cool. he looks like 
like if you looked at the corner of your eye, then you think, is that a white guy? And then he seemed like, oh, kind of. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, he is uh, an English, uh, an English father and a Chinese mother. So yeah, the uh, thematically, uh, I would say that uh, Tony Lung's uh, side of the film deals with a lot of the same struggles we'd see in these other John Woo films we've covered. This kind yeah, well, of well said. Uh, um, yeah, the the honor between men. Mm-hmm. And the struggle with, uh, you know, those that are kind of like the chaos that represent the new age that don't really follow those lines of honor. And uh, Anthony Wong's character, Johnny, well, and also how sort of like that. crime and law enforcement, um, like to to be in contact with them at all is to basically have your life thrown into chaos. Um, yeah, and it's it's really cool how uh, John Woo explores that in. Um, seemingly similar, but actually quite distinct, distinct ways in in these films. Yeah, and we also get to see Philip Clark, who yeah. I I think every shot that he gets, like all the best shots in the movie, are his shots. <laughs> Dude, totally. Yeah. yeah, and his character again is like super interesting. Um, you'd be prepared for a really stock, mm-hmm. um, James Bondy henchman. He oh, yeah. exactly uh, reminds me of Jaws from Oh total. And the uh, thing is like he serves you all that. Is. Like um uh oh yeah, uh, crap, which yeah, James Bond movie is Jaws in? I can't. Um <laughs> Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker. There nice. you go. Um my nice. my trivia, James Bond related trivia is that in Tomorrow Never Dies they film part of it in Puerto Rico. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Tomorrow Never Dies, Philip Kwok worked on. Oh, yeah, really? That, oh, I, I was going to say circle. that later, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> Similar to how John Woo actually was kind of pointing in the direction to Hollywood, Philip Kwok in a smaller scale way was doing the same thing. So he would end up doing a lot of action in Hollywood. And yeah, Tomorrow Never Dies yeah. is one of and those And I films. think Terrence Chang, the producer, um, who uh, he's like... His is a name that I'd seen before on credits, but I hadn't really dug into him much until uh, preparing for this. Just seems like an awesome dude. Uh, he he shares. Uh, actually, he's done both of the commentaries that John Woo does. Speaks like perfect English. He actually studied um, at the University of Oregon and um, and in New York, and just really, <laughs> he's. You know, I in some ways it's like maybe born to be a producer where uh, he seems to just really enjoy kind of like supporting the vision of these other directors. And uh, he apparently got Philip in touch with the crew of um, Tomorrow Never Dies and kind of made nice. that happen. Really cool. Really cool. Well, OK, so back to the film. <laughs> but um, this encounter is kind of like this uh, uneasy kind of friendship meeting where uh, Johnny is trying to court Long here to join his ranks because he he can see that he's kind of an up and comer. And um, uh, Tony Long's character, uh, what'd you say, Alan? Was it? Alan. And yeah. He's very cautious. He says, "We're just friends. I'm loyal to Hoy." And uh, on the way out, all of the thugs see that their uh, cars are covered in newspapers, kind of outing the kind of the seedy exploits that they've been up to and uh you see that tequila is there waiting for them and uh this is really smart too because uh what 
Long does. He's he basically. I, I I'm watching it knowing what has already happened. But mm-hmm. when you're watching it for the first time, you see that Long uses this kind of to win the favor of Johnny by standing up to uh, uh, Tequila here, and it's right. it's very calculated because the moment that uh, Johnny is ready to shoot him, he stops him, and it it's all very believable. It's not like oh why did you stop me or like you know I think it's played expertly in in how it's handled in the beginning of this film yeah totally although he could have prevented the entire movie happening if he had just shot him right here (laughs) yeah but Uh, also if he would have shot him right there you would have known that he was a ghost the whole time because the bullet would have went through him (laughs) all right (laughs) all right i'm done i'm done i'm sorry that's it (laughs) i'm Uh, sorry that's so stupid and uh, we we're gonna get another instance of uh, flowers coming up. So after a short little encounter of Tequila with an informant who uh, you recognize as one of Hoy's men, um, you see the uh, police uh, headquarters again, and Teresa gets some more flowers. And this was, I believe, it was Nat King Cole's Mona Lisa. Yeah, Mona Lisa. Many dreams have been brought to your doorstep. So uh, she hands that to the chief for uh, a, another message. And this message alludes to having tequila back off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It says, don't Dude, it's, it's... ever bite your own tail again. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's super interesting because um, in this film and in The Killer, there are a lot of moments where... John Woo will replay something that just happened or intercut with like a flashback from an earlier moment. And I think someone could maybe read that as it's like, is he trying to kind of like spoon feed the audience what's happening? But if you notice, he's not doing that to try to underline like plot details. Um, Those techniques are usually only to underline really significant, like emotional relation, character relationship Mm, details, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So it's cool because um, there are plenty of those little um, flourishes in the movie, but it's also like we've been saying, um, you really have to catch up to the speed of of the plot here with a lot of these details. And it's, I don't know, I think it's just super fun how it unfolds, but doesn't really make a big show of um, how it unfolds some of these big pieces of information. So the chief goes in to, to kind of uh, set him straight and the, you know, they get, they have a big fight, but the, the biggest thing that's interesting to me in this scene is y'all know we, we try to avoid F bombs in this podcast, but, <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to avoid this one, but he yeah, screams so out good. loud. This is the fucking order in English in all versions. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, it's that important that he says it in, even in the Cantonese version. <laughs> Well, and supposedly order is, I think, I think Bay Logan said this on his commentary, but it's similar to like the Cantonese word for like shit, I want to say, which is why what? Then nice. te- tequila's character afterwards says like, oh, do you got to oh. go to the bathroom? Oh, um, that's really which, good. Which kind of works regardless, but it's, yeah. it's a little bit more of like a clever, like play on words kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Huh. I didn't know that. That's really cool. That's, I always love that in in uh, games and anime where it's making a joke that's like it's an English word that sounds a different way in Japanese, so they make a pun 
but you mm-hmm. have to say it in two different languages. And it's yeah. like, who would oh, figure awesome. that out without reading it on a Wikipedia article? Yeah, it's super fun. Uh, I love stuff like that. Mm, me too. So now we get to our next big, uh, <laughs> big shootout of the movie. Uh, where yeah, we this have, is really fun. We have the the gun runners Dude. at this. Uh, it's probably, I wouldn't be shocked if this is the same doc in, um, in uh, uh, Better Tomorrow. Better, yeah, Better Tomorrow and... Crap, the first Tiger one, on the Tiger beat. on the Beat, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think supposedly it was, it's, um, I think that Doc, uh, like, readily rented out their space at, at night to to film shoots and that mm-hmm. kind of thing, but. You've got all these huge canisters, and uh, you got uh, Philip Kwok's character, I don't think they refer to him by name at all in the film, but in the yeah. credits, he's he's listed as mad dog yeah which, which is, is that's oh, a wow that's a great name for him but no they they never say it in they the call movie. him one eye towards the end of the movie <laughs> um, yeah like as a nickname but but seeing him Dude. roll up with his squad they've got all all these like they look like dirt bikes they're these mm-hmm. super yeah. 80s motorcycles and the super 80s aesthetic of them riding through the night with this kind of really hazy uh dramatically lit scene it's mm-hmm. super yeah, cool dude i think when people think of action and hard-boiled they rightly remember the the final act of the movie which in some ways this entire thing is orchestrated to lead up to that um mm-hmm. but dude this sequence is unbelievable it's and watching it in 2020 it's just as jaw-dropping yes um, it's this combination of really beautiful I would say much more martial arts inspired uh, kung fu-ish choreography. And also, but then just gorgeously like fluid camera motion and everything. And um, dude, it's just, it's, it's so great. It's, um, well, the one thing that's, that's kind of interesting is I don't know that you're entirely sure who you're rooting for in the scene. <laughs> yeah, because um, it's kind of bad guys killing other bad guys. Yeah, but I think that almost adds this kind of like level of like terror or something to it, because um, mm-hmm. it's just yeah, it's just ferocious what uh, what Johnny's crew is yeah. is able to do here, man. So yeah, it seems like either uh, they're kind of just getting the bounce on Hoy's uh, gang here because they know uh there's this operation where it it looks like they're like smuggling guns like in cars so they're like loading guns into like every like crevice like in the doors of the cars under the trunk lining all of this so um maybe they found you know they found out where this was happening so they're coming in here uh guns ablaze and they're just taking everybody out we also get another instance where most of the guys that are working here are wearing white so you get to see lots right. of mm-hmm. uh squibs bursting mm-hmm. and uh similar to the other films we talked about they're really effective use of squibs where it's not just entry but also exit wounds yeah. that go right. off so it looks that much more uh interesting in the gunfire some in- you know. incredible explosions too at one point philip's character tosses these grenades into just this like um little side office and dude and, and yet uh also just the way the explosions are shot it's like a little bit of a technical thing but often um the explosion basically is like an ultimate source of light and so uh it's pretty common to see explosions like overexposed mm-hmm. in the camera so it's like the whites are like totally blown out mm-hmm. and when you watch hard boiled that hardly ever happens it's like 
the exposure on all the explosions. Anyway, it just it, get, yeah. it all points to like the craftsmanship mm-hmm. of uh, John Woo and the DP here. Supposedly, Philip's hair caught on fire in that um, <laughs> that one explosion, but dude just brushed it off. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> My favorite stunt in this scene, though, is the uh, there's a guy that's like stuck inside of a, a truck that's loading up boxes, yeah, and this motorcycle, motorcycle ramps up into it and just oh slams gosh. into him. And like it, ha- I guess How it has to be a dummy, it? but like it, uh, sure. it look like that's the only way I think of. But like the, it looks like a person getting slammed by this by this motorcycle. And Dude, it's and Mad Dog in this whole sequence is it's awesome. He's got like equal parts madness and equal parts calculating, like yeah. in, in how he handles his action. He's the almost first, like, like it's almost like the Terminator in some of these shots. Oh, dude, totally yeah, Terminator totally. One, Terminator. Yep he the, his first move is like he slides the bike. He like looks like he's gonna dump the bike, but it's actually like calculated move to get him into like what would be the line of fire but he's got the cover of having the bike in front of him and the whole time he's got this uzi with like a suppressor on it and it just looks super iconic super 80s and he's he he uses it like a tool as much as he uses it like a weapon so like if there's a door he'll just like shoot at the door (laughs) just to get the door open and then he'll like fly in and take everybody out but yeah yeah, he he looks super cool and there's that really iconic shot of him holding the gun lighting the cigarette from a flaming car in front of him it's it's really awesome awesome. what's so great too about how his character progresses is um like john woo rewards you for like loving his character (laughs) you know what i mean like yes um, if you're at all conflicted about like, oh, dude, I think this guy's really awesome. Um, <laughs> go with those feelings, man. Um, yeah, it's really he good. He is awesome. Yeah. So in the middle of all of this, uh, this is kind of also like a flex by Johnny because he <laughs> had uh, uh, Long come in with him. So he's witness to all of this. And um, at the same time, you also see that Tequila is kind of doing this one man army thing where he's going <laughs> to bust in and take everybody out so he's like fully armed and just kind of on the sidelines watching everything play out but um the the really really important part of this scene has uh hoy and his men show up and uh not without some casualties right away so um mad dog actually like blows up a couple of cars as they're coming in but what ends up happening is a huge standoff between hoy and his men and johnny and his men and uh alan gets thrust into this position where uh hoy you could kind of tell that he knew this was going to happen but he didn't want it to happen but here we are where he's got to choose between his two families well what would be a family Mm -hmm. and his other kind of welcoming family and he has to betray them all and he actually like he doesn't hesitate to do what he needs to do but you also see the pain that he has to deal with to do these things and i think such a it's such a beautifully acted scene and um you know his father figure the boss like uh, again, like we said with the killer where John Woo just, he's ahead of you and surprises you. Um, what you're expecting is like, how could you do this? How could you betray me? And like the begging kind of posture or whatever. And instead he, it's like he susses the situation right away. And he's like, um, yeah, I know what this life is about. 
I know how it happened. And it's almost like he's making it easy for him. And then he twists it and he's like, but I never thought you would betray me. And it's just, Ooh. oh, dude, yeah. so, so brutal. And uh, Tony's acting is incredible because right now, I mean, we're, we basically have breadcrumbs as like a first time viewer to understand that Tony is undercover. Right. Um, it's, it just, it's, it hasn't been made extremely overt. Um, but it's even, even so it's like, we're, we're given just this extreme subtlety in Tony's acting. And it's like, I don't know, it, it ends up being so, so much more powerful than something that would be super, super loud, you know? Mm hmm. Masterfully handled. Um, and I, that isn't even the end of this. Uh, yeah, this situation. scene like this seems like four <laughs> scenes in one. Yeah, it's it's great. I really do like the moment, you know, after he shoots, Hui, you know, that the pained look in his eyes and you see him kind of reach and you honestly don't know, like, if he's going to turn on Johnny because of what he's made him do or what but he just grabs an automatic weapon and mows down the rest of his brothers mm -hmm. and it's like this very dramatic moment that just shows I mean knowing the pain that he's had to like be in such deep cover and do these things that he, yeah. he wouldn't want to do as a police officer is it's it's wrenching it's really great but um yeah so <laughs> this is followed up by our invasion by our one man army yeah. right <laughs> so tequila does this like super uh you know hollywood action hero <laughs> moment where he just dives in on a rope he literally swings into action mm -hmm. and uh takes you know out so many people not only shooting you know, men on each side but blowing out every everything up in like one salvo it's really funny <laughs> and he has this he has a shotgun that has must have like explosive rounds or something in it because everything right. he shoots just immediately explodes uh, yeah. Another one of my favorite shots is whenever a guy in a motorcycle is is driving away and he shoots the motorcycle and just bursts into flames. The guy has, is like rolling around on fire. Those two, yeah, there's like those two like man on a bike as it explodes stunts. Like those are my favorite stunts mm -hmm. in this whole sequence. They're they look awesome and they're just so daring and dangerous. It's great. There's also a couple of really great like. Um intercut shots of tony's character uh at first sort of looking in awe at tequila and then he has this awesome expression where he's almost like sort of like damn it like don't do it do this you're gonna like ruin everything yeah. um and again it's uh like we've been saying this film like really rewards rewatching. you just there are so many layers to a lot of these performances actually yeah it's really cool it ends up with them actually holding each other at gunpoint and yeah, it's a situation dude, dude this is like, like i would i would say this is the mexican standoff of like our whole little film arc here <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's maybe the shortest but it's like ah dude it's like so poignant and um yeah it leaves you with this like mystery which is yeah awesome mm -hmm. i think it's so cool because you've got these two characters who you you know eventually they're gonna have to meet but you're expecting it to be this slow escalation but in the middle of the sequence it goes from zero to 100 where they end up actually in each other's faces and it's like all right who's gonna pull the trigger and who you know he can't blow his cover but he also knows that like this dude is a problem because of you know him thinking that I'm in the triad and it's just 
it, it's so yeah. cool. I'm just like, well, and, and we see that uh, Chow Yun Fat's character is not the the character from the killer because uh, he hasn't been counting his bullets. So <laughs> I was thinking that too. he does. <laughs> Yeah, he does actually pull the trigger and he's out. He's empty. And all of this, is they're under this cover of this smoke. So you have this sense that no one is really witnessing what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just these two guys. And then Tony's character disarms his gun and it's like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. um, it's just yeah. awesome way to end this incredibly um, like high octane and like high emotional like mm-hmm. chain of scenes here. Following the scene, there's this <laughs> really great melodramatic kind of Super little melodramatic. short <laughs> montage of uh, Tony Long. Like yeah. yeah. Ah! He just is like <laughs> ripping himself apart because of his job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really great. Yeah. There's an earlier scene that I don't think we called out. Now it's the first time we saw um, that one of the paper cranes that his character makes, yeah. which is like a big symbol in this movie. And oh, and I just realized now he he makes a the paper crane he makes here is black. Like well, I don't know, I feel like that oh, that means dang. like it's more it's more intense than than the other yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, so back... hey, oh, also since since you mentioned that in Stranglehold, the collectible items <laughs> oh, are paper cranes. Are paper cranes. Yes. Oh, dude, that's, that's cool. nice. That's really funny. Yeah, that that's one of those. It was made by people who just saw hard boiled like a million times. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because, like, the storyline's, like, totally, like, totally... It's, like, Tequila... Like, a cop gets killed by some gang members, and Tequila ends up involved in the situation because they, like, kidnap his daughter and his (laughs) wife or something. And it's, like, what? Where did all of that come from? And it's, like, all the dialogues in English and... I don't it's it's not a good game. I'm not I'm not talking this up like you should play it, but I think it's a cool oddity yeah. that if you're a fan of Hard Boiled is worth checking out. Mm-hmm. And and the game was fun to play in its own way. There's like a you know, we, we could almost have a like a little mini episode talking about <laughs> Hong Kong cinema in games yeah. because there's like the Jet oh, Li's cool. Rise to Honor and Jackie Chan's had a handful of games Oof. over the years. Yeah, he's some a, better he's than others. Some, yeah, he's had some doozies. Yeah, but um, and um, I guess that's more of a visual thing that we could have a yeah. video yeah, about. We could but figure something out. Yeah, it's it's kind of cool. And there's um, Sleeping Dogs. That's it. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sleeping Dogs sure. is kind of just a Hong Kong action movie, but GTA. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of um, um, more modern action, uh, like Asian uh representation in action like there's a lot of uh people that play voices in in sleeping dogs too mm-hmm. yeah there's oh, like a awesome. horrible crouching tiger hidden dragon game boy advance game <laughs> i believe it <laughs> oh, wow. there's like a whole bunch of crap i could i could see that being one of those like it's this random adaptation on the game boy advance but like mature yamane did music for it or something like just some oh, yeah, some totally random heavy too. hitter that did nothing else for 10 yeah. years or like a jake kaufman yeah, soundtrack yeah he did a lot of licensed stuff back then Those hidden ones. <laughs> so, um there's a uh, another scene at, at, we get some more uh police uh station stuff but mm-hmm. there's another scene this is a great scene yeah oh yeah we can go into it if you want oh sorry no j- yeah just briefly um Tequila uh, finally presents, he basically presents like a, a sketch um, <laughs> of the suspect of, of Tony's character. Of the sketches we've and seen in these movies, this is definitely a, a, a little lower tier yeah. than some of the others. Agreed. Yeah, this is maybe what, like 
more realistic to how you'd expect mm-hmm. a police sketch to look. Um, he throws it on his boss's desk and he's like, what's up here? And the, I, again, even now, it's like I think a lesser movie would just say, OK, you've come this far. Let me just open the door and dump information on you. Um, there's still a little bit of cat and mouse. His boss he says like, I'm not legally obligated to tell you anything. And so it's like the door just cracks open a little bit more. But what's awesome is it's still put into Kilo's hands. He's not just like at the mercy of someone like explaining the situation to him. He says, I know I almost shot a cop. Mm-hmm. Like it's, ah, it's just, yeah, just great. And, um, the acting here is, is awesome. Uh, we've seen, any movie that features cops pretty much has a scene with a renegade cop yelling at their boss, but um, <laughs> it's still somehow fresh here. Um, once again, John Woo is finding like a new way to kind of flip the script. So they go back to the bar and uh, I looked it up in the background. We see a poster <laughs> for <laughs> yeah. for John Hammond. John Hammond. Who is? Spared no expense. Yeah, spared no, no expense. expense. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was the first thing I thought, but yeah, it turns out John Hammond is actually the name of like a like a blues jazz musician. Yeah, um, who's big enough to have a Wikipedia article with a picture of him. So in my mind, that's that judges if you're a famous enough person that I should have heard of them if if they have a picture <laughs> yeah, on the Wikipedia. Yeah, page. totally. <laughs> nice. The fictional John Hammond probably doesn't yeah, have probably a not, Wikipedia no. article. He's got a, a fandom or a Wikia yeah, page. Yeah, he definitely has. He has a Wikipedia page that has like, it's like 15 pages long and sorts like a fan novel of Jurassic Park. Or... <laughs> oh, man, totally. Well, yeah, supposedly this is like a real jazz club, a club that John oh. would like to go to. Nice. Um, so once again, a real location. And I think John Hammond was actually like scheduled to play there. So they just didn't redress the set or whatever. That's pretty cool. Also coming, I think, in and out of this scene um, were, uh, yeah, 55 minutes into the movie. And for the next, I want to say, 10, 15 minutes, there are these, like, wipe transitions um, <laughs> between a lot of the scenes. And it's it's interesting. I, I, I'm into it. I think it works. But it's, like, it doesn't happen until this moment. And then I think it kind of falls away and stops happening, too. They get a little um, experimental, I guess. Yeah, so kind of kind of interesting. Supposedly, John Woo uh, was really hands on with a lot of the editing of the movie too. Um, mentioned that you know they started shooting without a locked script. Apparently, the script was never really super locked, and there was a lot of finding scenes and experimenting as they went. Um, and it, it sounds like that actually is is something that the crew of this movie really remembers fondly. One thing I do remember on the back of my mind is when when hard target came out they were doing like preview screenings and um one of the things they mentioned was that uh john woo used a lot of dissolves for his scenes and Mm. western audiences like people in the u.s at the screenings were confused because they thought those were meant like they were flashbacks Oh. <laughs> oh wow. But we've seen dissolves, you know, use the handful of times in the movies we've covered, but Yeah, yeah totally. That's that's fun to think about. Um literally speaking a different film language. Yeah. Um the major thing to take away from this uh scene at the jazz club is that uh 
that kind of informant shows up. So they've got this ongoing relationship there. Mm -hmm. um, following this, though, they show uh, uh, Long in his boathouse. He, he like, lives on a boat. Mm -hmm. And um, he's still kind of uh, dealing with all this craziness that's been happening to him. But it's so funny. Uh, he gets the sense that somebody else is around. Mm -hmm. And... Out of nowhere, tequila just dives straight into the boat. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually really funny. The the shot of him diving in and tackling long, um, those are both doubles. So if you like pause it at all, you can like plainly yeah. see that these aren't um, oh. our heroes. <laughs> it's really funny. But yeah, they have a, a little back and forth. And it's funny because they actually get to know each other uh, a little bit. And, and like we kind of get a sense that they might end up being partners before the end of the movie. Uh, but yeah, I, totally. And there's still a little bit coy here. Yeah. Um, but damn, I love how, how Tony plays this scene. Mm -hmm. And even though it's pretty brief, he's able to kind of share uh, what he's about and his situation. Essentially it's like, he rightly sees that like he's alone <laughs> in the universe. Like mm -hmm. he doesn't really have anyone that's kind of coming for him and um, no one really understands what, what that's like. And um, yeah, really nice little moment. This is also where he explains what's going on with the paper cranes after tequila asks. And basically Tony's character, he folds a paper crane every time he kills someone. Um, and it's so to, cool because it's not only just a kind of interesting quirk about this character. There's actually a little bit of a payoff later in the film regarding the, the paper crane. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. But this gets interrupted by the, the goons coming in. Lo Mang! And, yeah, Lo Mang. <laughs> oh, is that who shoots him? Yeah, because no. uh, you see like all the other... Uh, like Hoisman, it's super fast. He like yeah. doesn't get a, a big close up or anything. Right. Uh, he in the middle of the huge warehouse scene, you do get a shot of Lo Meng's character mm -hmm. escaping. Gotcha. And um, he's trying to take his revenge right now. Mm -hmm. And you got like kind of some Miami, some Miami Vice energy about yeah. shootout like uh, near. Oh, uh, dude, totally. Yeah. Which is really great. But uh, he tags Long really good in the back with his shotgun. And it's unfortunate. I mean, from his point of view, I would say it's unfortunate because he had a clean shot right there and he had a shotgun. Mm. So like, there the movie would have been over too. But you get a really <laughs> cool little uh, shootout here. Mm. And um, Johnny's Johnny and his men end up showing up. So in order to not blow their cover, uh, Tequila dives into the water and uh that's another with, uh, great out of context gif is is oh, <laughs> is him just diving into the water. Yeah. <laughs> um uh Lo Mang, who's been injured pretty badly in the middle middle of this on the dock, um, just as Johnny shows up, uh long uh executes him which is like for me you know seeing that he was in this film and also philip clock it's like damn you just want them to interact yeah. like once right yeah it's like totally. oh they took it away from us but i mean these guys have been in so many movies together mm -hmm. you can't really fault them for not interacting yeah, in this just one, film. one yeah <laughs> so they go to the hospital and this is where we kind of get kind of get introduced to the our, our final uh, scene in the movie. And we even get a... I remember the first time I saw this movie thinking, it's weird they're spending this much time in the like in the infant ward of the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> it seems kind of <laughs> odd, but of course that gets... That's like... That's on like the movie poster. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, totally. But in the, um, the hospital, uh, we see the all of the all the goons are in there too, kind of making sure that all all of the all of this remains on the down low. Yeah, because they it, they insinuate that they actually have control of the hospital. So mm-hmm. Johnny's right. Johnny's yeah, we gang, see Johnny like paying off a nurse, kind of. Mm-hmm. And... Yep, he's like, we don't want any right. record of this. I, I've I've obviously I've you know hope to never experience this in real life but he seems to be handling getting shot in the back with a shotgun pretty well like <laughs> like alan gets is just back into action in like one scene yeah. from now and just has some bandages on yeah totally and also smoking well, in hospitals so- gotta love it oh that's yeah. great yeah at not- least one nurse like gives uh giant fat a hard yeah, time about yeah. it but um but yeah it's still uh yeah product of its uh era i guess um, and potentially explosive right by the oxygen dude tank. for sure let's well, even say that later <laughs> yeah. in the movie where he's like if like give me a cigarette no it's gonna explode and he turns and off in a movie like this where where anything mm-hmm. re- even remotely <laughs> looking yeah, like will, a tank yeah. will Look explode hard then <laughs> yeah for sure oh yeah so then uh, johnny ends up telling uh tony's character it's like oh we kind of found this snitch and it's um you know, it's Tequila's informant. And um, Alan says, like, yeah, he'll basically take care of it. And then we cut to this, like, nighttime scene at the pier, and the informant's just getting, like, beat to a pulp. But, yeah, I love how Tony's character kind of thinks fast here. Um, yeah. He ends up taking the uh, the lighter that was uh, gifted to him by um, Philip Chan's character, he sneaks it in his pocket and then he backs away and he shoots the dude and dude falls in the water. Um, again, though, it's like John Woo doesn't like really make it super explicit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's like, yeah, it keeps you kind of on, uh, on your toes, but um, you end up uh, finding that, um, you know, he's still alive, like barely like hanging on to his life. But um, Tony shot him right where the lighter was. Yeah. Like Flanders um, with the piece of the cross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good thing yeah. I was wearing this piece. I think I'll go inside. Oh, um, dude, that's so great. That's from my favorite episode, Clown College. Oh, yep. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, so, um, so he survives, right? And he does make his way to the jazz club and he lets tequila know that uh maple hospital the the place where they were like that's where everything's happening so uh now they've got some breadcrumbs to follow to uh the the hideout that lies underneath this hospital which is crazy to think about Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah this is where we get that the brief interaction where where he really wants a cigarette and he says no like he's gonna blow up if he gives oxygen um yeah so uh because uh johnny like runs this place he he finds out that uh Sui, the informant's still alive and he puts uh tony's character excuse me and that's in the in the dub his name's foxy instead of Sui. Oh, Foxy, Foxy. Nice. Oh, nice. Sure, whatever. I like that. That's the good, that's a good name for that type of character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they're uh kind of putting these chess pieces in place for uh, the finale of the film. You've also got uh Teresa showing up at the hospital and she's starting to be pretty observant. Oh um, yeah, cuz to Tequila told John Woo's character or somebody like call my girlfriend and 
I think that's the first time in the movie that he kind of outright says, like, yeah, they're, she's they're together. my girlfriend. Yeah, I like that whole thing where it's like you can, yeah, I love that. You can't really figure out what's the truth when it comes to that. But um, and she kind of plays like this back and forth with him too. But it's just enough to keep it interesting and not totally, to, you know, be like this romantic side uh, story. But um, I do really enjoy the um, she bumps into a guy and she notices that he's holding a case of flowers and they're white roses and. To anyone else, that wouldn't mean anything. But to her, she immediately recognizes that as a clue to who this person is. So uh, now we've got a situation where Alan is, you know, he's set up to take out Sui, Foxy. (laughs) (laughs) And um, uh, he's the man that holds these roses that we just mentioned. And I can't help but get terminator 2 vibes out of that <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. you know, that there's actually a couple of moments from this moment on where i really do think about terminator 2 and that was like wait that was like 1991 well, it was, wasn't it yeah it was basically the same supposedly john Wu said when he first saw terminator 2 um hardball hadn't come out yet but it had been shot oh uh, no and way when, and when he saw the flowers and the gun he was like what (laughs) we both had the same idea that's really cool i like that um i can't i'm sure that that's probably shown up in other but i mean i i just definitely think about terminator Mm 2 so then uh following that you've got um uh mad dog so johnny is kind of suspicious of the whole situation now so in order to ensure that this uh uh, rat gets stomped out he sends in mad dog to follow mm-hmm. after uh yeah long and actually he's giving me some terminator 2 vibes too like more uh, like t1000 yeah. showing up at like pescadero looking for sarah connor so that's oh, pretty dude, cool totally. yeah and actually i like the escalation of his character so now like we were saying he's he's got an eye patch mm-hmm. so it's this kind of like this He's got like a scarred face. It's like this, like you guys are saying, you you nailed it. Really, having him be like a Bond villain that has this very distinct look, and his own kind of arc of villainy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and um, and it's cool that uh, he's well, a heavy because Philip Quack is very yeah. always like kind of like the light learner kind of guy in a lot of the Venom mob movies. Right. Yeah, so, he was like more of like the hero. Of the type. hero. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Seam has the not only a villain but a heavy, and with that, yeah. but yeah, he's he's wearing some scrubs and stops the guy oh, who stops the uh, Sui who's trying to run away, and and slits his throat with a scalpel and then throws his body down like a laundry shoot. Yeah, yeah, man. Again, like uh, Wu is just like staying ahead of you, right? Once you see that Tequila and Alan have come together, you're like, oh, okay. Look at how they cleverly um, protected Foxy, I guess we'll call him. Um, but it's like, nope. And so it's pretty, I don't know, it's pretty shocking when he's actually murdered. And again, like you said, it's it's brutal, like this, the slitting of his throat. Um, uh almost in more like a like a hitchcockian way like you don't really like see the throat being slit but just the way that john woo edits it and um how he cuts to that splash of blood while this uh, um hospital patient is just kind of like mild-manneredly like eating their food oh man yeah that's pretty cool there are yeah like there's these really effective uses of 
blood splattering. You've got the shot at the beginning of the film with uh, the flower-covered tequila. You've got this yeah. scene. There's the the spray of blood when uh, when Long kills the dude in the library. Those are uh, you know few and far between, but they're very effective. Yeah, I I, mean, I think we've um, been kind of mentioning it, but really the ho- now that we've arrived at the hospital. This is where we live for the rest of the movie. Yeah. It's almost its own kind of movie, like um, maybe not that dissimilar from from Die Hard in you know the skyscraper. But here yeah. we are in the hospital. Uh, I know I, I shouldn't like dig dig up the past, but um, one of the things that I was struggling with a little bit when we were talking about City on Fire is that. Um, I was kind of like hungry for the real like innovation and like these real um, in, I don't know, kind of surprising, clever story beats, things you haven't seen before. Well, no one on the planet had seen a giant action set piece taking place in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually where we are in the movie, there's 52 minutes of the movie yeah. left <laughs> yeah. all in this hospital sequence. It's and great. We will get to the famous um, one take shot that has been talked about and written about a lot. But um, that's really only one that's only one piece of the pie. Um, This in this is just like a master class in action filmmaking from from here to the end. Yeah, we the police now are pretty firmly like infiltrating the hospital now. Teresa is there. And so is like the the superintendent, and then as she's like looking around the waiting room, all of the patients and a lot of the doctors are just cops. Yeah, in that's really cool. Um, yeah, but they it's like a nice little island of hope. Uh, yeah, yeah. This, uh, section. Uh, but they discover that there's some uh, basically like a secret lair underneath the hospital uh, through the morgue. So yeah, she says that the morgue has like reinforced steel around mm-hmm. it. So it's funny. It almost turns into Indiana Jones for a second. Where like they're they're <laughs> kind of, or I guess I guess James Bond Indiana Jones kind of a lot of a pretty pretty thick Venn diagram. But yeah. but they're uh, they look at like the who's in the the different like cells. I don't know what you'd call them. Uh, the lockers in the morgue, and they see there's a big there's like a blank space. And it's funny. I I was looking at the dates that are in it, and they're all of course like 1991. And it made me think, oh, yeah, I was I was a baby whenever this movie came out. And oh, you were one of the babies. I was was like one in 92. But yeah. So like that baby in later scenes is my age. So that's awesome. I picture a little baby with curly hair mm-hmm. and a mustache and a goatee. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I had curly hair, but it was very, very blonde whenever I was a baby, which is weird. Whoa, I have cool. dark hair now, but yeah, go figure. I do really Dude, like how this layer looks. Yes. It almost reminds me of like the Danger Room, like in the X Men movie. Oh, dude, <laughs> yeah. totally. Like that really like like smooth metallic finish to the doors and the hallway has this very blue uh, tint to everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like most of the movie um, is pretty grounded uh, leading up to this, but it's like, yeah, this is a little bit more like wacky zany, Mm -hmm. but Oh man, this, this whole sequence of them trying to get into it. Okay. I, I'm, I work in maintenance, right? (laughs) So, 
the, this whole situation has them kind of basically ripping up wires and doing some really wild <laughs> stuff. And it's like my maintenance guy brain is like, no, 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 <laughs> don't do it. any of this stuff, please. <laughs> it really escalates Turn to this like extremely dangerous move by these two guys mm-hmm. where yeah. um, they they not only shoot at pipes without knowing what's going through the pipes, mm. but then they grab live wires and jam them together. Mm. And it's it's so funny to me because it it's so ridiculous in just how they're trying to open this door. But then it turns into this incredibly serious moment for yeah. Tequila when he sees uh, Long just like on the ground convulsing after being yeah. electrocuted and remembering the death of his partner yeah <laughs> right and here's where we get some of that like, yeah cutting between the intercutting two. technique yeah and again it's not to like clarify like did you understand the plot but it's like no this do you understand what he's feeling yeah, yeah. here um, <laughs> there oh, is also we kind of we kind of breeze by the uh, scene in the elevator where we have the cool kind of like triple dynamic with chai and fat and tony and Teresa. Mm-hmm. and mm. Oh yeah, um, again, that's a really not good a super, scene. Yeah, not a super lengthy thing, but it's just awesome the way they play all of that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where Tequila first comes out and says like, yeah, it's my girlfriend you've been sending all those flowers to. Um, the chemistry between them is really yeah, good. Dude, just every one scene. of them is like so charming and like not stock, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, anyways, uh, really great. And I think... In so, it actually helps to kind of like bring those two dudes together, even though they're ostensibly like, you know, arguing over a girl or whatever. We're kind of now ready to like fully see them as, as partners, which Mm. is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Oh, in that crazy maintenance madness like situation, there was one really interesting thing that I liked where tequila uses his handcuffs as kind of like a vice kind of pliers to undo a bolt and i was like damn that's actually really smart move there if not that i have handcuffs on me (laughs) at all times but if i ever did i could remember to use that as a tool available to add that on the list of (laughs) if i'm in a very specific situation i could do this that we learned from the podcast (laughs) yeah nice that'll go in my hong kong cinema like uh diy yeah. tips like in wheels on meals taking yeah, one bolt off of thinking. each tire dude yeah totally yeah. yep <laughs> so the door opens and I, i'm really it's funny now that you said that marty that all the best the half the best shots in the movie are philip quack entering the scene but you're totally <laughs> right because that he's walking like in slow motion and it's all foggy around him and he has this oh, i had dude, to look so up great. what this gun was because like this thing's Oh, cool. weird. Oh, that's yeah, it's like beautiful. Um, yeah, it's called a Thompson Center Contender and it's a it's basically mm. a hunting pistol. So it's like a pistol um but it's funny, it looks like a pirate gun. <laughs> like it's really long and Yeah, it has like it's like a steampunky yeah. kind of vibe. Um but it fires yeah, it almost, just one it almost bullet looks... and the kind of bullet it fires is what you would use if you were hunting. So if people are pistol oh. hunting, that's the kind of gun they would use. It looks yeah, like something... they even show him having to manually load each mm-hmm. one. That's mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. It looks like something you'd see in like a sharpshooter show. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. Know, like yeah. S- some type of trick shot mm-hmm. gun. And I like how he aims it, or he like holds it against his forearm and kind of like mm-hmm. a like yeah hunting posture or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And this area that they're in, it's like this armory, and it it totally looks like a Metal Gear boss fight. <laughs> You're super <area>. right, <laughs> and he's That's definitely like, got some where... Snake Plissken vibes too with the with the eye patch. Oh, dude, with... totally. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's like a lot of proto video game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like material yeah. here. Um, but uh it's cool this turns into almost like just an actual kung fu fight like not with styles but just like it's a lot of hand to hand he's hiding like holding on to these chains to like prop himself up to a wall and then swings down <laughs> my favorite moment in the fight is when uh mad dog is choking long and uh, tequila yeah, no, just... <laughs> no 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 just imagining so... if your sentence ended there <laughs> so te- what tequila does is like there's all these guns around right so he grabs a rifle and you're like oh he's gonna shoot yeah. him no he actually just like stranglehold like yeah. pulls it on yeah, him. It's like, wait a second you sh- <laughs> you've got a gun, you shoot him, you have a gun. <laughs> i love that it's so much fun <laughs> And he plays a little dirty here too, because he like starts he starts oh, he does, punching yeah. him in the in the eye that has the bandage over it. Yeah, it's pretty cold. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, while this is happening, we see Teresa's character uh, find the rose. And again, this is just super clever because when Chai and Fat's character mentions it in the elevator, he's like, "Okay, when when you get the rose from me." That's when you need to evacuate the hospital. So you sort of have that in the back of your mind, but what you didn't realize it's like he planted the rose there, counting on her to kind of not pay attention to it until the time was. Right. I don't know. It's just it, not something you've really ever seen before. Um, yeah, it's equal parts clever. like ridiculous, but the, just the way it plays out, you're like, yeah, I like that. It's cool. Yeah, totally. It's cool. <laughs> They're. Um, they're struggling getting the hospital to agree to evacuate everyone. <laughs> and uh, Teresa actually has to pull a fire alarm. And even after she pulls the fire alarm, uh, a lot of them are like, no, 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 it was a false alarm. It was a false alarm. <laughs> but so, then she hits him with that code or the law or whatever. Yeah. And she's like, no, legally, you have to do this. Yeah. Um, and now we start to see like the maternity ward. Mm-hmm. Um like what's really important about this. Um, There was like a shot that kind of lingered on Teresa looking at the maternity ward and sort of like you were saying, Matthew, the first time you're watching it, it's like, oh, because women Women like like babies, babies, I guess. I don't know. What um, are you trying to say, movie? But but there's something to it because it's like none of these other dudes are thinking about the maternity ward apparently. And so she runs there and there's only one nurse and she's overwhelmed, doesn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So this is where Teresa starts leading the charge to try to get these babies Mm -hmm. to safety, which um, this is a thread that kind of runs through almost to the very end of the film. And we kind of get the same power that um, Brian De Palma gets out of the, the baby in the carriage and the untouchables, that famous like shoot out on the stairs yeah um but it's anyways uh, i love kind of seeing the this begin to sort of mm-hmm. pay off um also it's crazy because there uh we start to see there are these people that look like police they're dressed like police or yeah. hospital security but these are triad people um and so pretty soon we start to see them actually like mow down Patients, yeah, and they're million people as trying to escape. Yeah, it's it's pretty rough. Like that's that's when you realize, like like you already kind of knew that Johnny was a little unhinged, but at this point you're like, oh, he's just completely like super villain at this point. Yeah, literally willing. Yeah, to Yeah, Johnny's kill maybe the one character in the film that just ends up like going to the super broad place. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's contrasted with all these like really complicated characters around him. Mm-hmm. I think 
I think it all works. And I think when you've got the police uh, start to show up outside, you've got all these cars, and then it turns into this huge hostage situation. Um, this also was giving me Terminator 2 vibes, like at oh, Cyberdyne yeah. with like yeah, you know, all the cops waiting outside. So <laughs> that's that my last Terminator 2 take, I think, <laughs> for the episode. Yeah, also when you're outside, there's a little bit of that like blue hue that mm-hmm. you see all through mm-hmm. T2. That's and cool, um, I, I like how we're saying now uh, you can't tell who's who and uh, you've got the cops who are in disguise as hospital workers. You've got the triad members who are disguised as the security here and everybody's getting really crazy and the hostages that are in the middle of all of this. So you as a viewer, you're like, oh man, like who's who? Like, mm-hmm. And things are getting really crazy and they get even more crazier when everybody starts getting in their little pockets of, uh, you know, uh, they'll like cordon off people in certain rooms. You've got the babies here. So you're like, uh, this is going to be bad mm-hmm. somehow, some way. Yeah. And I do really like how in the middle of all of this, once you've got the firefights break out with uh tequila and long and everybody you do actually get a moment where one of the cops that you've been seeing as kind of one of the background players throughout the film he ends up in the line of fire and actually long shoots him and it's like played uh for dramatic effect really and you've got the struggle of him like knowing that oh i just shot a cop and there's this back and forth i'm jumping ahead a little bit but oh yeah that's we can yeah, we, we, yeah, so that's actually inside the one take uh, section. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Is when that happened. Yeah, they mm-hmm. they um, managed to escape the morgue because there's also uh, a, a running motif in the rest of the movie is uh, the uh, explosives because there's lots of plastic explosives yeah. in the basement also. And C4. And yeah. um, Johnny threatens to blow up the hospital basically if they don't do what he wants. And uh, they use some of those explosives to get out of the morgue. And I think we start to get the first little glimpse that Mad Dog isn't really yeah, cool with yeah. that. Yeah, um, he's, he's, yeah. It's, it's funny that he at this to point, Johnny at this bit. point, he's like, okay, this is too far now. Uh, but, yeah. but yeah, at this point. But I guess you realize like you're, you, we've been making some assumptions mm-hmm. about him because we haven't mm-hmm. really seen him interact with uh, civilians or like, uh, it's like, or maybe it's like a, he's got like a Omar little kind of code or something where it's like these people aren't in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I, I do speaking of explosives, it is really cool how tequila and Alan like explode their way back into the morgue yeah. and then you have this almost kind of like rising from the grave. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh man, I love kind that. of thing, which is, is yeah, super cool. That might be one of my favorite shots with them erupting out of the morgue like drawers. Yeah. And then like dive <laughs> yeah, onto a gurney and start shooting. It's really good. So we we get one quick Mexican standoff, and we think that that uh, they they killed Alan, and uh, Tequila is walking with his hands up. With uh, an officer has the gun oh, up to him. This is so great. Uh, but then we get a reveal shot. We see that it's actually Alan who's in the uniform, and well, and you see these really subtle looks yeah, too as Teresa. Like everyone's and winking Phillip at each other. Chance character. Yeah, it's so awesome, dude. The other thing that's great is. From here to the end of the film, now, um, and it happened organically, um, but now we have uh, we have Alan's character like donning the uniform of mm-hmm. a cop, which in like the theme of this film, it's sort of like that's uh, 
that's kind of an honor. Yeah, he chose he chose the 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 cop honorable side or whatever. Yeah, which is cool how how it all works. Oh, I don't think we mentioned, but so watching this, you've got to be wondering like, okay, so how do they shoot in this hospital? It doesn't really seem like a set, and it's just so vast and sprawling. Mm -hmm. So it was actually an old Coca Cola (laughs) factory that was no longer in operation, and they were able to. Uh, retrofit it and and build it into this maple hospital um and it sounds like for everyone involved in the production it was like this was just an incredibly intense period of movie making oh, it was going on i believe for for weeks and weeks and john woo would be you know they, they were still kind of devising what was happening in the story shooting all day he'd be editing all night um an incredibly committed crew. And it sounded, um, at least the way that uh, John Wu sort of tells the story, it sounded like people were kind of losing steam and getting pretty burnt out. Oh, man. And he um, he was also getting a little bit tired of the kind of conventions of in this gunfight. It's like, okay, now we shoot here. Now we get this coverage of the people flying. And uh, he says, like, well, so what's really the story there? Like, what's what does that really tell you now at this point in the movie? And all that basically led him um, to kind of throw out this idea of like, okay, what if we focus on a stretch just in in one take and we kind of rehearse around getting um, getting this kind of single camera with a steady cam to really work? And apparently once he threw that idea out there, the stuntmen and the crew were just lit up by it. They're like, <laughs> we've never done anything like this. That sounds super exciting. And they then kind of held John Woo to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, <laughs> this didn't actually, I think end up saving them that much time because there ended up being, I think he said days of rehearsal to try to choreograph the whole sequence and then planned the explosives and um, squibs and camera blocking and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I think a day or two of, of shooting it. I think the entire thing was shot four times, I think he said. Mm. Um, but anyways, yeah, the crew really <laughs> kind of kept kept John Woo going there. Um, and uh, this this the one shot has been, it's almost kind of legendary now. It's been talked about a lot. Um, if you don't know, there's a point in the sequence where they enter an elevator. And it's right after the moment um, that Carlos mentioned where Alan ends up, uh, shooting this cop character mm-hmm. that we know. So, I mean, there's so much about this, like, oneer that's not, like, the stereotypical one-take thing. Like, major emotional acting beats happen mm-hmm. in it. It's not all about, like, shock and awe and, like, showing off. Also, where it starts and where it ends isn't super glamorous. Mm-hmm. Um, you're almost not even meant to to notice it, I, I, which makes sense when you hear John Woo talk about it because it is almost like it was more for the crew's morale, <laughs> you know. Um, but anyways, perhaps the most amazing thing about the single take is when they enter the elevator and the doors close. When the doors reopen, they're on the same floor. Everything has been restaged. Oh wow! By the crew during that brief period, with the doors are closed, and Chai and Fat and Tony are acting their hearts out. Oh, and that's amazing! It's all been rearranged so that um, we now believe we're on a different floor and we're seeing different um, elements in the environment, and things have been cleaned up and all that stuff. Uh, so yeah, anyways, it's yeah crazy. 
like tour de force filmmaking, but it's it's also unlike any other um, single take sequence in an action movie I can think of. It's 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 almost like not needing your applause. Do you know what I mean? It's just um, it's just sort of it's just sort of there really more than anything to kind of like bring you into the emotion of mm-hmm. these characters. Um, I, I think like you were saying, Carlos, one of the things that's most memorable is what Alan's going through, which is having just shot yeah. a cop and Charlie and fats trying to like get him, getting him not to think about it. And then eventually he's like, yeah, you did shoot a cop. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, how do you think I felt when I shot a cop? And, um, there's some cool like uh, shooting stunts at the end of the shot, but then it just cuts away. Uh, and if you're not paying close attention, you might not even notice when you leave the the single mm-hmm. take. But uh, yeah, anyways, yeah, kind of historic yeah. filmmaking. Yeah, it's really cool. And you know, we've been, I mean, we we we've been fans of Hong Kong cinema for uh, all this time, and we've been covering it on the podcast. But then when you see, you know, this such a drastic change visually in how the camera is moving compared to all of these, you know, what we've been spoiled with these beautiful wide shots of action. And then you've get, got this really like kinetic wild, like human moving camera in the middle of all of this. It just puts a stamp on how, how magical this, this movie Mm -hmm. is. Um, one of the things I really liked is, you know, you mentioned how the elevator doors close and open. And again, this, I guess this is me being a maintenance guy. I noticed how fast the, the elevator doors close. And then when they uh, open, they open so fast that they bounce. Yeah, back I noticed forth. that too. <laughs> yeah, that's. Well, that's supposedly really... there was actually an issue with the doors not opening. Um, I think when they first tried shooting it, so they like had everything set up and then they'd get to that spot and they couldn't open the elevator doors. That's great. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So this leads to like a shootout between mad dog and our heroes. And this is really cool too. And actually there are moments here where it's, it's again, like kind of like a Kung Fu choreography of the way the gunplay is. Totally. You've got these situations where, uh, Lung has, he's like dual wielding. He's got two pistols and the way he holds them and aims and fires, it's almost like kids playing with guns where you kind of <laughs> move your hands like you're shooting. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> bang, bang. But, yeah. yeah. In the middle of the action, I think it works really well and it gives this personality to the character's movements visually, which I like. The one thing I want to know then is, you know, they shot this in, you said this old Coca-Cola plant. Yeah. Is yeah. that... Are, are the external shots also in that same space? I think so. Um, yeah, because they blow this place up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah, apparently, apparently, John Wu wanted even like more explosives towards the end, and his like pyrotechnic team had to kind of try to rein rein mm-hmm. him in. Um, <laughs> well, uh, getting ahead of things, but in case I forget later, um, there's kind of an iconic sequence where Chow Yun Fat seems like he's running for his life away from these explosions. Yeah. Well, he kind of was. Apparently, like, there was a countdown to when the explosion would go off, and it went off early. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> and so he was just, like, running for dear life, and um, then I guess a- after he was in the clear, looks at John Wu and says, like, did you get the shot? And John's like, yeah, no, it was great, and gives him this wry smile. Um, and then he, he goes over um, 
uh, then he goes over to the producer, Terrence Chang, and he's like, that's so <laughs> No way. I love that. That's so um, good. And I mean, it, John didn't try to make that happen. It was like this yeah. accident, basically. Makes but, an amazing shot, um, though. Oh, man. Yeah. So real. during this this showdown with uh, Alan and Mad Dog, they, you don't quite see it because you see the people running away. But he had yeah, um, but they end up in this room and they both have their guns pointing at each other. But then the camera angle changes and we see that there's like 10 patients that are trying to get out right in the middle of them. So and good. they both then set down their guns and are like, you guys need to run. And that's so cool. I, I always love like the, the honor amongst thieves stuff in movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. It feels almost like a Venom mob. It totally does. Oh, man, moment, you're totally you right. Know? And then, dude, it's, I don't know, it's shocking every time you watch it, uh, but Johnny comes in and has one of these automatic guns, and he just mows them yeah. all down, all these civilian mm-hmm. patients. Yeah. Um, and Mad Dog's having and, none yeah, of at, that. And immediately he shoots the gun out of his hand, and he's going to shoot him again, but he's out of bullets. He's like, oh, well, that's it. <laughs> And it gets and it gets mowed down. Yeah, perfectly like orchestrated arc and ending for for the Mad Dog character. Mm-hmm. Like that, you know, he stood up against Johnny, was like shooting at him. But then, as far as like our story, it probably wouldn't be super satisfying if Johnny was taken out by Mad Dog, and then it's mm-hmm. over. So you kind of get to have it yeah. always here. So now Alan's on the run. Johnny's completely lost it and just throwing C four everywhere also we have that kind of like gymnastic diving through glass windows uh where they're all like there's like three jumps through windows <laughs> like in a row um i think alan then tequila then met oh, oh no that yeah. was earlier because mad dog's still alive i mm-hmm. forgot about that okay yeah never mind uh one stunt <laughs> i want to call here because we haven't and the pockets in general we see a ton of blood but we don't see too much like really gore like really visceral stuff but one of the guys in this right. scene falls into like a bench or a table or something. And then it cuts Ooh, and you yeah, see like right. a shot of like part of the table sticking through his neck. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's rough. There's yeah. Um there's a moment, you know, we've got this whole thing with the babies, right? And the, throughout all of this action we've been talking mm-hmm. about, they've been uh having like it's basically like a special side mission where the SWAT teams getting the babies out through the window and there's one baby left and tequila ends up grabbing that baby and uh the moment that he grabs it he's assailed by like three of the of johnny's men and it's so funny because uh he's got this baby with him now so it's like you know i have to protect the baby but when he kills these men they all get the goriest deaths mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and it, it's like blood sp- Flirting from necks and the and blood like, splatters onto the baby at one point. Yeah, and it's yeah, funny. Dude, there's, it's so cr- man. There's this so moment cr- where he's like, "Oh, baby's got blood on him. I'll wipe it off." <laughs> yeah. And then he's like kissing. It, it's crazy because on paper you can just ima- imagine like the parent organizations, <laughs> um, like working up into a fervor mm-hmm. or whatever. But when you see it in action, um. I don't know. It's like brilliant. It's really hard to explain, mm-hmm. but um, there's it. There's, it's just like the the crazy genius of John Woo that this all works. Um, be, I think partly because he's like he's not afraid to shy away uh, from what's implied here, and I think the fact that 
the blood splatter does get on the baby is actually super crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, I know I was just saying a second ago where it's like, oh, he gets to have it multiple ways, but it, he does here too, where it's like, it's kind of like sickly funny, right? Um, it's also scary. And then it also is like, I don't know, expressing some kind of commentary or something. Mm-hmm. And I think John Wu said, you know, it's like, oh, the baby is like, you know, all of us come into the world innocent until we're like mm-hmm. marked by violence. Yeah. Or it's something. a very Catholic um, thing to believe too. Oh, dude. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Like we said, he is, his like Christian values kind of inform mm-hmm. a lot of, um, a lot of yeah. what he's doing. But so, uh, this is when we get that amazing shot of tequila running away from the fire after he's talked to Alan, who's basically like, <laughs> you, you gotta go and get the baby out of here. Um, and uh, he's able to jump out while the hospital is just completely going up behind him. Yeah. And he gets the baby back to the to his mother and father. These we parents one... are good at recognizing newborns. Yeah, right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> we also get that great moment where the, his legs are oh, on fire. Oh, right. He says, your pee-pee saved the day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the baby good. pees on him, puts the fire out. <laughs> that's so good. So good. Um, oh man! But yeah, there was a moment where Teresa actually gets a gun and shoots a dude. Um, that was oh yeah, that happens a little earlier. One of the the babies, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. I didn't realize this, but apparently, uh, female cops in Hong Kong at the time were were not allowed to carry guns. Um, huh. So it was whoa, like, that's interesting. Thinking about yeah, yes, so madam, even though she know? was like right, right. Yeah. So even though she's in the police force, it's like, um, so it's like kind of even a bigger moment than than we yeah, would think. Yeah. Yeah, that puts so all of those get... that puts all the girls with guns films in a <laughs> new light cuz I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like even more scandalous or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now you're talking about Die Hard earlier. We get a little bit of like the the one last big, you know, one last moment for the villains and uh Johnny has Alan at gunpoint. Uh, Johnny's telling Tequila to do like all these things, like to slap himself and to kneel yeah. down and stuff. Um, he's like, "Say you like, yeah, say that you're impotent." Yeah, and it's like, oh, dude. <laughs> and it's then like, that's Chow Yun um, Fat. You know what you're like? Yeah. Um, <laughs> especially because Johnny looks so like dorky here. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, he does. He's he's also super young at this point. So yeah. Um, but he, but Alan grabs the gun and he gets shot in the stomach, but then Tequila does like his awesome marksman shot. Yeah. And this, I was not like, I forgot about this part. Yeah. I'm not sure how, but he then shoots, he shoots Johnny right in the eye and they have yeah. this amazing like prosthetic head where you yeah. see the eye just explode out. I I very seldom have like audible reactions to movies, but <laughs> sure. yeah, that's made definitely. Me like, oh sh-. yeah, <gasps> yeah. It's amazing. I mean, and yeah, just that moment leading up to it, where I mean, Alan's telling him basically like, take the shot, take the shot, and even in their conversations when they were in the underground bunker or whatever, Alan's clearly resigned himself to to dying in the line of duty. Right. Um, but the fact that he like literally takes Johnny's gun and shoots himself um, to to kind of, yeah, to give tequila the opening is just crazy. And then we cut to this uh, really sort of abstract spinning camera looking <laughs> yeah. down on Alan's body. 
and then we get into this montage. Uh, it's funny because mm-hmm. if we've if uh, again, this is where um, Hard Boiled separates itself from the pack of Hong Kong movies of the time. Um, we smell a freeze frame coming up, right? This is like <laughs> this is where it should happen. This is where the very short credits should um, should be kicking in. But we we cut to this montage back at the police station, and they're burning um, Alan's confidential file, so there can be no more information on it. And so we're basically in this like eulogy mode, and we're hearing some um, some lines. Uh, yeah, from uh, when fr- they were from on the Alan rooftop from earlier in the movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. We're seeing the lighter. Um, and so it's like, oh, wow, uh, it really, really poignant. And then we cut to a really surprising, like, final, final image of the movie. And you were alluding to this earlier, Carlos. We see paper cranes falling in the water. So it's like, oh, is tequila doing this to um, to honor Alan? But nope, Alan's actually alive somehow. Um, <laughs> clearly, like, super wounded, and he's he's on his boat headed to you know, maybe Antarctica. Um, <laughs> that's where you mentioned you wanted to go. So yeah. And again, it's like, it's, it's totally in like the storytelling aesthetic of the movie that it's, it's just not super explicit. I assume that the cops don't know he's alive or they're mm-hmm. just burning the files, willing to protect his cover. Um, but uh, he's essentially kind of found his path to freedom, you know, um, after a pretty like bloody trail, and then the post credit scene, Sam Jackson walks up from no. the bottom yeah. part of the yacht. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, and this is where you have the um. There's that little title card that says like in memory, yeah, in yeah. honor of Barry Wong. Um, and then the music kind of turns back into like drum machine, like eighty synth, <laughs> like fun loving vibe. Yep. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's hard boiled. Ah, dude. And also, I uh, this is maybe I should after really talking about a movie that I love. I shouldn't be talking about something I'm salty about. But no, go for it. In um, recently, as we I think we mentioned before, uh, Community recently came onto Netflix. Oh and yeah, so yeah. a lot of people have been talking about it again. Been watching like the paintball episodes. And yeah, and in the paintball episode, a lot of people said that something was from Hard Boiled. But Carlos, you pointed out it's actually more a Better Tomorrow. Yeah. Because uh, whenever Chang walks in, and like there's this Chinese woman singing in the background while he has like a swearing suit and has a match in his mouth. Yeah, and that's, yeah, totally. That's not from this movie. That's from a Better Tomorrow. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, funny. I you almost get the sense that Hard Boiled is like code for. John Woo Hong for, Kong. Yeah, John Woo Hong Kong movies, yeah. Um, but uh yeah, that's that's interesting. But hey, I mean if if Hard Boiled like leads you to looking oh, into Oh, no, it's a killer. It's not a bad movie at all. Awesome. Yeah, no. Not in the least. Just it's good to know there's there's other stuff too to check out. Like if you really liked Hard Boiled then it's no, not to diss on his American right. stuff, but there's a lot of other really amazing stuff yeah, from his totally. Hong Kong time. But I think also it's like uh, if you've been following this arc of movies, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if you keep going with the John Woo American films, if you might not see them in sort of a different light. 
recognizing that um, on the one hand, he's somewhat unburdened by having compared to these films, like a much larger budget and more resources at his disposal. On the other hand, he's more hamstrung by some of the rules and regulations and really some of the material that he has to work with um, mm-hmm. in the in the Hollywood films. But I I would say if you were doing like an in-depth retrospective of John Woo's career and looking at kind of like sequence by sequence, you really have to uh, look at the the American movies as well. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm going to go on like a John Woo Hollywood binge after this. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I've seen I've seen all of his releases here. Um I I've, I've seen some more than others. Like I said, I love Face Off. It's ridiculous and <laughs> and fun and I think it'd be fun for us to talk about on the show at some point in mm-hmm. um Broken Arrow. I I've seen it a, a couple of times. It's all right. Uh, Mission yeah. Impossible 2 is also ridiculous um <laughs> but it has some incredible like looking things yeah it. yeah it's it's fun stuff and it, it's always it's always fun to see uh these talent from hong kong flex uh in in hollywood and see what can come from it and uh i think most of the people that are probably listening to this have seen a lot of these films already yeah you know i mean the interesting thing is that um as maybe imperfect as the John Woo Hollywood films are, he probably had the greatest success of any of the Hong Kong directors that came to Hollywood. I mean, yeah, we've talked about, you know, Choi Hart coming to Hollywood, uh, Ronnie Yu doing uh, some Hollywood films, Corey Yun, um, uh, Ringo Lam. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's sort of unfortunate. I, I, I don't know that any of these you know, great Hong Kong masters really made an American mm-hmm. masterpiece, you know? Yeah. Um, Maybe I mean, before, I, before starting this podcast, I wouldn't have been able to name any of those aside from John Woo. So. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah. Argue, maybe the transporter is the most I think successful. Like, the, it, I mean, for in my, like for me personally, I would say like um, in the, like kind of like broad appeal. Yeah. Definitely something like the transporter would be in there. Um, but otherwise, uh, I think if you kind of broaden the scope to look at like Hong Kong um, collaboration in like the Hollywood system, I'm, you know, the peak is probably something like The Matrix, you know, yep. Yun Wuping and Yun Chun Yi and, and all yeah, what for they sure. were able to, to do to really make that movie something so special. And we've uh, talked about yeah. how Hong Kong cinema has influenced. It's It's like this this timeline where Hong Kong cinema influenced Western cinema and then Hong Kong cinema actually kind of set its foot into Western cinema. But then what I feel happened is Western cinema really evolved and incorporated things from Hong Kong cinema. But I still yeah. feel like they, there's a lot of meaning that that Western cinema has missed, like the kind of really heart of it and kind of the fundamental things that I think we really enjoy. Dude, totally. You know, I'm kind of reminded of like, I'm kind of reminded of blues and rock and roll. And it's like when you yeah. really look into the history of American music, I mean, first of all, blues is Talk the about fun- black excellence earlier. Dude, yeah, absolutely. Totally. Like blues is the foundation of essentially all original American music, whether you're talking about the spectrum from 
rock to jazz to R&B to rap, it's like it all comes back to the uniquely like African-American brilliance that is the blues. But um, rock and roll, we end up then kind of associating it with this like white and British um, sort of art form. And a lot of those bands are kind of like the directors that uh, were quick to watch Hong Kong films and like honor them. Yeah. You know, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, they knew all these old blues groups, but the audiences that then followed them, yeah, um, how many of them the go back to those, those records? Um, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, it's absolutely frustrating when viewed that way. But the good thing is if, any of us that are interested, we can do that work. We can go back. We mm-hmm. can dig up those old blues records, and we should, especially yeah. now, like we've been saying. Mm-hmm. And we That's can find, internet. yeah, totally. And we can find these like beautiful uh, Hong Kong masterpieces, mm-hmm. right? It, it, you know, these connections are. You know, there's so many different ways that you can connect, uh, like what we're talking about, Hong Kong cinema. Like we we haven't mentioned it at all throughout this arc, but uh, Wu Tang Clan, right? The RZA, yeah. Hugely influenced by a lot of these films. You can hear clips from the killer in uh, Wu Tang yeah. Clan albums, and uh, yeah. that was one of the one of the main comments we got of the killer was quoting the the like the right. dumb where my killer uh, tape at where my killer tape at. Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. It's perfect. But you know that calls to what you know the influence that Hong Kong cinema had on urban culture as well so like it's definitely tied to african-american pop culture in you know the modern day and it's it's so cool to see how all of these things can influence one another you've got Mm -hmm. uh okay you've got kill bill right tarantino influenced by shaw brothers including Yung Wu Ping, including Gordon Liu and Sonny yep. Chiba Japanese cinema. Yep. And you've got the RZA doing music for films like this. Yeah. It's like this amazing amalgamation of all of these cultural influences of different ethnicities and different backgrounds. It's just super fun. I, this episode could be three hours long if we yeah. started talking yes. about all this, but I think it's really... Say we need yeah, it's, to wrap it up. But. It's really important to state that, though, you know, because, Absolutely. especially because of the climate that we're living in and this kind of, I mean, it's sad to say, but this polarized, like, mm-hmm. state that everybody's in where it's like, man, different cultures are just... Like, I, I just think it's so interesting learning about a different culture and learning about what makes them great and learning about how these have all influenced each other. And it's not about mm-hmm. separation. It's about integration. Right. Exactly. And I think it's just yeah, like totally. really important to state these things, not to bookend our episode with controversy. But I think that it's all there <laughs> if you're just willing to see it. And I think well, that, yeah, it's about that, if that concept to, yeah. that things coming together is a good thing is controversial to you, then stop listening to this show. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. And I think that you're really losing out so much in life mm-hmm. if you're if you're just kind of avoiding yeah. certain things because of a yeah, generality like that. Part. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Well thank you so much for <laughs> listening through all this <laughs> Uh, us gushing on about about this amazing movie if you enjoyed the show then please leave us a review on whatever you're listening to this on check us out on facebook instagram and twitter we're at here's the number three podcast on all three of them and thank you to the kung fu cinema subreddit if you're checking us out from there 
So we've come to the end of our look at gun action cinema in Hong Kong, and we have another arc planned. But before that, we want to do a little another animated interlude. So, uh, Carlos, what's that going to look like? So um, I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast at all, but I'm a fan of Japanese cinema. I'm a fan of Japanese animation, and we've covered a couple of animated features so far. And I think... uh, we're all pretty excited to be talking about the Satoshi Kon film Paprika, um, it's featured animation by Madhouse. Um, I saw it in the theater when it came out. I was lucky enough to <laughs> see it when it was distributed here. Oh, that's and, awesome. Uh, I just, uh, yeah, it's 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 an awesome thing to witness, and I think mm-hmm. we'll have a lot of fun talking about it. Well, until next week, where we're taking a look at Paprika. I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Remember your training. Heroes 3 is part of the Mercado Brothers Podcast Network. Who boy. New long episode. <laughs> <laughs>